Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 260-something. Uh, remember that levitation episode I promised about two months ago? Well, here it is. Better late than never, I guess. Uh, well, maybe, probably depends on the quality of the episode. We'll see. The impetus for this episode is twofold. Firstly, I mentioned a while back about how I want to do some episodes where I approach paranormal topics from a skeptical point of view, not because I want to be a Grinch and pee on everyone's parade. Uh, I actually have a lifelong interest in the paranormal, which I guess is why I don't believe in it. You study this stuff long enough and you realize that the evidence just ain't there. And secondly, the reason I wanted to discuss the topic of levitation in particular is because I had been watching a video by a YouTuber by the name of Joy Sparkle BS. Yes, I really did just say Joy Sparkle BS. She had risen to prominence on YouTube by covering high-profile controversies like the so-called Daddy-O5 saga. I'll spare you a thorough explanation, but it involved a YouTube couple essentially abusing or exploiting their children for clicks and views, subjecting them to cruel pranks and driving them to tears. Sometimes there were even instances of physical violence, either in the form of the father handling the children too roughly or inciting one child to hit another. As Joy Sparkle was gaining notoriety, she began befriending other fairly popular YouTubers, including some members of the so-called skeptic community, but eventually a good portion of her audience, as well as a number of her peers, started to turn on her. It seems people had begun to tire of her constant coverage of the same YouTube topics, the Daddy-05 controversy, Onision, etc., Eventually, a young but veteran YouTuber who she used to be friendly with, uh, named Mr. Repsian, all these crazy YouTube names, who used to predominantly focus on atheism, released a kind of hit piece on Joy Sparkle. I believe it was somewhat unimaginably entitled Why I Do Not Like Joy Sparkle BS, or something to that effect. In it, he goes into her past, maybe about 10 years back or so, when she used to read tarot cards, sometimes for money, and I guess was into uh, all sorts of New Age healing and uh, airy-fairy nonsense type of stuff. She issued a response video in which she readily admitted that she used to be into all sorts of New Age stuff and said she had mostly outgrown it. But she went on to say she still did believe in some weird stuff like, you guessed it, levitation. And I actually kind of liked Joy Sparkle and felt bad the way people seemed to be piling on her. I decided I did want to do a video challenging her claims about levitation, but I wanted to do so in a friendly, good-natured way. And so here we are. And a final note on Joy Sparkle BS. Uh, you can tell she wasn't... Uh, quote-unquote well. She seemed to have a lot weighing on her and may even have been wrestling with some kind of mental or mood disorder. I'm obviously not a psychiatrist, but that's how it seemed to me. And finally, for better or worse, she quit YouTube. Her channel is no more. Will she return? Who knows? But enough uh, with this lengthy preamble. So, is levitation bullshit? Well, the quick and honest answer is yes and no. Although there doesn't seem to be any good or compelling evidence for the existence of any kind of supernatural levitation, there are real scientific methods of levitation, which I'll discuss later. 
But first, we might as well tackle the supernatural claims. Most spiritual or religious traditions seem to contain some mention or examples of supposed levitation. In Hinduism, levitation is referred to as lagaman, meaning lightness. Gurus who obtained mastery of a supernatural power or ability referred to as a siddhi, or cities, plural, and that's S-I-D-D-H-I. Probably sounds like I'm saying the word city are called siddhas. Levitation is among one of these supposed city powers, and sometimes referred to as Dardura City, or the frog power. And speaking of that, I think I sound kind of like a frog tonight. think the voice is a little deeper than usual, but I'll try to uh, power through it. It's thought that levitation comes naturally to those progressing along the spiritual path, perhaps during the course of meditation or through the mastery of yoga. Revered Indian yogi Shirdi Sai Baba, or simply Sai Baba, who passed away during the first half of the 19th century, was said to have achieved mastery of levitation while sleeping. In 1936, Yogi Sabaya Pallavar supposedly levitated for four minutes in front of a crowd of approximately 150 people. He seemed to be suspended cross-legged in the air, with his hand lightly resting on a cloth-covered stick or cane. He was most likely employing a now well-known trick, the stick, cane, or pole that the yogi or magician appears to be resting his hand on, is connected to both a base and a chair-like structure. The chair portion is concealed by the person's flowing garments, creating the illusion that they are suspended in the air. In the 1970s, popular guru Maharishi Mahesh Yogi began his TM or Transcendental Meditation City program, a feature of which was the practice of so-called yogic flying. Yogic flying is broken into three progressive stages, hopping, floating, and flying. Apparently, yet not surprisingly, no one has yet to advance beyond the hopping stage. If you've ever seen yogic flying, that's exactly what it looks like, a kind of cross-legged hopping. There are even annual yogic flying contests in which participants vie to see who can hop the fastest and the farthest. Adherents claim the hopping is spontaneous, while skeptics understandably view it as no more than, well, hopping, using one's thigh muscles to propel one upward or forward. For your amusement and edification, I'll include video of yogic flying in the YouTube version of this episode. Siddhartha Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, an offshoot of Hinduism, is said to have walked or levitated cross-legged across a stream in order to convert a Brahmin. My regular listeners are probably somewhat aware of my fondness for Buddhism, but I really can't think of any other reason to continue to talk about it in this context, so we might as well move on to the Abrahamic faiths. In Judaism, the oldest of the Abrahamic faiths, levitation was thought possible by either magical or non-magical means. Achieving levitation through magic was looked on with disapproval because it involved bypassing God and directly ordering spirits to move objects, etc. Levitation through non-magical means was viewed much more positively and was thought to be accomplished by entering a pious state of mind characterized by love and obedience towards God. Baal Shem Tov, the 18th century Jewish mystic and rabbi, thought to be the founder of Hasidic Judaism, was supposedly able to snap his fingers, causing his chariot and horses to float in the air and move at great speeds. 
As for levitation in the Christian tradition, some have made the argument, although it seems like a bit of a stretch to me, that Jesus' walking on water in Matthew 14 could be considered an act of levitation. In the canonical Acts of the Apostles, the infamous character known as Simon Magus, or Simon the Magician, attempts to purchase the power to lay on hands from the Apostles. But Peter rebukes him, saying, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. In the apocryphal Acts of Peter, Simon floats above the Roman Forum in an attempt to prove himself a god. Peter prays to God and Simon's powers are negated, causing him to abruptly fall to the Sacra Via, or Holy Way, breaking his leg in three parts. The apocryphal Acts of Peter and Paul contain a more gruesome version in which the impact of Simon's fall causes his body to be, quote-unquote, divided into four parts. Christianity has a long tradition of levitating saints, and if we're going to accept walking on water as a form of levitation, then two of the earliest examples would be Saint Bessarion of Egypt, who supposedly walked across the waters of the Nile, and another Egyptian saint by the name of Mary, born in the 4th century, who is also purported to have walked across a river. One of the most well-known examples of a levitating saint is the revered Saint Francis of Assisi, born in the town of Assisi located in the Italian province of Perugia in the late 12th century. He was said to be able to levitate up to a height of three or four cubits. I think I almost said cuberts. Uh, one cubit being about the length spanning from the bottom of a human elbow to the tip of the middle finger. A more recent example is that of Padre Pio, a revered Catholic saint who passed away in 1961. Padre Pio is best known for his recurring or enduring stigmata, marks on the body often accompanied by pain and bleeding that correspond with the wounds of Christ. Maybe I should dedicate an episode to that. Uh, he's also said to have demonstrated other miraculous abilities as well, including bilocation, being in two places at once, prophecy, and yes, levitation. In the realm of Christian belief, levitation isn't always associated with the divine. It can sometimes be seen as a manifestation of demonic possession. In 16th century Spain, a Franciscan nun named Magdalena de la Cruz, who demonstrated seemingly divine gifts such as prophecy, levitation, and the ability to heal, was virtually regarded as a living saint, but thinking she was on her deathbed, she confessed to a nearly 40-year-long pact with the devil. In the wake of the Salem witch trials, a young Boston girl named Margaret Rule was thought to be under assault by demonic forces. At one point, she supposedly levitated above her bed in front of a number of witnesses. And in 1906, a South African orphan attending school at St. Michael's Mission in Natal is said to have become demonically possessed after making a pact with Satan at the age of 16. During the course of her supposed possession, she would sometimes reportedly levitate as much as five feet, either vertically or horizontally in a rigid position, with the effect being reversed when sprinkled with holy water.
The 19th century saw the rise of the spiritualist movement, and mediums on both sides of the pond had claimed the ability to levitate objects or themselves during seances. Many such claims were proven fraudulent by skeptical investigators. A medium by the name of Daniel Douglas Holm claimed to be able to levitate outside of a building, where he would be partially visible through the windows. Two researchers, Joseph McCabe and Trevor H. Hall, uncovered that he was simply moving moving along a ledge between two balconies. Welsh spiritualist Colin Evans also claimed to be able to levitate, and there was even a photograph purporting to show him in the act. As it turns out, Evans triggered the flash photograph himself, indicated by a cord running from a device in his hand, and had simply captured an image of himself in the act of jumping. Mediums conducting seances often achieve the illusion of levitating objects via wires, telescopic instruments, and other assorted parlor tricks. Sometimes it was something as simple as using one's foot and hand to manually rock a table. Seeing as seances were usually conducted in the dark, there was abundant opportunity for trickery. While we're on the subject, I've always been strangely amused by the fact that the so-called ectoplasm issuing from a medium's mouth during a seance usually turned out to be nothing more than muslin or cheesecloth. So to recap, basically what we have are anecdotes of floating saints and yogis and fraudulent parlor tricks, nothing amounting to actual evidence of the paranormal phenomenon of levitation that I can see. But don't get crestfallen. As I was saying at the top of the show, levitation actually does exist, but it's achieved through science. Levitation comes from the Latin levitus, meaning lightness. Actual levitation, scientifically speaking, not the spooky kind, is achieved by providing an upward force that counteracts the pull of gravity, along with a smaller force which pushes the object toward a home position. The result being an object held aloft without direct mechanical support. There are a number of fundamental and reactive forces that can be used to achieve the levitation of an object, but it's probably safe to say that the most widely known form is magnetic levitation. We've probably all seen or heard of those maglev trains, which are levitated above rails using a series of magnets. Since there's no direct mechanical friction between the train and the rail, the result is a quick, quieter, and smoother ride. Science has even used magnets to levitate a frog, and I never know what to think when I see that footage. Should I be amused, impressed, or should I feel sorry for the frog? Maybe all of the above. Here's hoping the little guy enjoyed it. And uh, maybe someone can levitate the frog out of my throat. But uh, with that, uh, thanks everyone for listening. You know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter. Please check out the YouTube channel. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekinddoubt and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.